The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 18. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek series, movies, and more. And today we're continuing our uh, overview discussions of the various Star Trek series, and we've made our way to Star Trek Voyager. And so joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So uh, just before we begin, again, I just want a little bit of an announcement. Uh, Our listener survey is coming to an end. If you have not yet uh, taken a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at sqpn.com slash survey, I would greatly appreciate if you would if you would do that. Uh, It helps us plan for you to make uh, this network better, these individual shows better. Um, it helps us know you and, and and what you like and what you might be interested in. You know, we're always working to develop some new series, uh, you know, the, the future of SQPN. And if we know what you want and what you like, it means we're not shooting in the dark, uh, and, and, <laughs> which is, which would be helpful. Shooting in the dark is dangerous. It <laughs> violates basic gun safety. Do not exactly. Do it. exactly. Exactly. So we don't want to accidentally hit one of our, uh, uh our listeners, uh, that, so help us to turn the lights on and, uh, Take the survey. And as a thank you for taking a few minutes to, to fill out the survey, uh, we are giving away uh, two different uh, Amazon gift cards for $50 each to uh, two lucky listeners who participate. And again, it's uh, sqpn.com slash survey. So uh, that's it. Star Trek Voyager, um, which began in January of 1995, uh, picking up just almost like right after the next gen finished its seven year run um and in the midst of deep space nine which had begun a couple years earlier and uh, star trek voyager picked up and and the first of the next gen movies it was really a crazy time in star trek Mm -hmm. history because you had the finale for next gen the first star trek movie next gen movie in prep voyager in prep and deep space nine on the air and it was it was chaotic for the producers (laughs) i can imagine but great for the fans I mean, really almost like a golden age of Star Trek for us at the time. Um, And maybe a golden age is returning. But uh, 20 some odd years ago, um, it was there was a lot of Star Trek to be had. And uh, Mm -hmm. this so sort of the the background for Voyager is this was at the same time that another little uh, 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 news was happening in broadcasting, which was uh, the UPN network. Paramount uh, oh, yes. looked at looked at Fox and said, uh, wow, the, the Fox Studios, they created their own network and now they have a place to put their stuff. Well, we want to have our own network. So they created UPN, which is something United else. Paramount that, Network. Yeah. Yeah. It became another network now. I forget what it is. Uh, the CW. 
the CW. Right, 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 right. Yep. Because, um, and this was uh, the uh, to, to coin a phrase and be a little bit of fun. The flagship series for the 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 UPN network, which is kind of a little like how Discovery was the flagship series for CBS All Access streaming service. And it's it's something that had originally been planned way back for Star Trek when um, Paramount had considered this previously and they were going to launch Star Trek Phase 2 mm. starring the cast of the original series. It was a TV series that never happened, but the pilot episode of it kind of turned into Star Trek The Motion Picture. And and so when we get to, you know, to to this entry uh you, you know in 1995 they were developing 1994 they had to figure out well you know what's going to make this different from next generation right. and lost so, in space the original <laughs> exactly. competitor of star trek <laughs> exactly yeah. they uh that was the series that got picked up by nbc instead of uh, star trek back in the 60s as we talked about a few weeks ago uh and that's why we got Voyager. And so what we have is a, a Starfleet ship thrown across the, the galaxy into the Delta Quadrant. Um, and they have to make their way home. They have 75 year journey ahead of them. Uh, you know, what's interesting about it was starting just from the choice of the ship. You know, this wasn't the flagship. This isn't the biggest, the baddest, the strongest, the mm -hmm. hotel in space. It's frankly a little science vessel. Yeah. You know, it's a couple hundred people at most for the crew. It's smaller than the original Enterprise. It's it is you know, super fast. Yeah. I mean, right. it was designed. It's it's a ship that's designed for long distance exploration already. I mean, and that that actually that plays into one uh, particular episode, the Equinox, um, you know, where Voyager was designed for long distance travel already. So it was already well suited for this. Right. But uh, so. What we have is, is and well, so they so they have a ship that's not designed for long distance travel or 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 this long of a journey. Not it's not a right. big bad ship. Uh, it's certainly right. not a strong warship. Uh, but it, so that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, is when they they when they get thrown across the galaxy, half the crew dies. Uh, it's yeah. a violent encounter. So many of the crew members we, die of the bat. The the most careless caretaker imaginable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. This this uh, alien creature that was reaching out and grabbing uh, ships from all over the galaxy, looking for a compatible species to mate with. It's like a, a Delta Quadrant version of Tinder, and uh, yeah, was, <laughs> violent Delta Quadrant version of Tinder. <laughs> uh, but what what saves Voyager in a sense is, is their their mission at the time was they were hunting down the Maquis. Now the Maquis were a uh, a, a group of people that were originally in, from in, Next Gen. In, yeah, insurrectionists, and, basically. Yeah, and they developed more in um, Deep Space Deep Nine. Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Uh, right, and they were they're basically former Federation citizens who lived on colonies on the border with. The Cardassian Empire. And when the war with Cardassia ended, um, they were ceded to Cardassia as as colonies like these. Well, right. Cardassia, you know, in the in the in the negotiations of the final treaty, they had the Federation had to give up these worlds and these people didn't want to leave. Uh, so they ended up staying on these on these planets because it's their home. Uh, but yet, the you know, the Cardassians was established an oppressive empire. And so the this Maquis, this uh, this. Uh, Revolutionary band, maybe, or you might say uh, terrorists, some might call them, uh, you know, depending on who you are, 
uh, they developed to, to fight back against the Kardashians and against the Federation, which is a right. key element. And uh, and so Voyager chase was chasing them. And they they both end up in the in the Delta Quadrant. And after the events of the pilot episode, they end up having to uh, you know become Merge. one crew. Yeah, and yeah. so so now we've really thrown out the Roddenberry rule, which we talked about uh, last week. Exactly. Which was that there was there was to be no conflict in a Starfleet crew, and now we have conflict from the the, the get go mm-hmm. here uh, between the Maquis and the Fed, and the Starfleeters, which, which introduces one of the many failed potentials of Voyager, because <laughs> after yeah. after they merge the crew, we get an episode or few where this conflict between the Starfleet crew and the Maquis crew comes up, but right. It it never really gels. I mean, Chakotay, who is a Maquis first officer, really effectively manages the situation and keeps a lid on it. And we don't have a major uprising. Uh, we do. Actually, there are a couple episodes where we do have some uprisings. And some of that is under the influence of uh, alien influence that that uh, kind right. of, you know, gets the conflict going. But other or times in a holodeck or things right. like yep. that. But there are times when there are issues that have to do with the fact that these, the, this Maquis crew is not Starfleet. They didn't go to the academy. They're they're you know they they're rough around the edges. I mean, you have a you end up finding a serial killer among them. Uh, I forget his name, uh, but who Lon Suter? Uh, right, thank you. Uh, who who actually has a couple of uh, appearances? He's a recurring character uh, until he. Makes yeah. the ultimate sacrifice, but uh, my point is they don't exploit it to the extent they could have. Right? They, right. I mean, I mentioned there are a few episodes yeah. where it comes up, but they, we never have like a maki coup. Well, and, on you know, board the ship that goes the, on for any period of time. Let, you know, on last their own last week, last week we talked about DS Nine, and you know, compare the conflicts among the crew in DS Nine versus the conflicts among the crew in Voyager. Mm-hmm. And you would think that the conflict in Voyager would be much more than DS9, because, of course, DS9, by and large, was a Starfleet crew, with the exception of Odo and Kira and a couple others. You don't have that. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I agree with Jimmy that it, it they kind of they started out with that potential and then immediately boom, they, the Maquis became Starfleet. Right. Yeah. I mean, there was there's like a few episodes where, like, for example, Bolana Torres is the chief engineer, you know, appointed mm-hmm. chief engineer. And there's sort of conflict with her being over Starfleet crew and, you know, right. and, and them kind of rejecting that. Yeah. And so, yes. But after that, I mean, for the she's, fact she settles into being a war fat where she's just got a bit of a temper problem. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, and, and like like for because it's a foundational aspect of the show, I mean, it's one of the core like the bullet points when they pitch it to the network, you know, it's lo- it's lost across the galaxy is bullet point one. Bullet point two is it's a Maquis and Starfleet crew for the for all that. it the, You're right. It doesn't play that by, throughout by the, the end series. Of, by the end of the first season with again, with the exceptions of, you know, like that, the uh, two Vox hollow deck program and things like that. Yeah. You really don't see it. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, yeah, it comes up a few times, it, but it's not really a key aspect of the series. You're, you're right. You're, I'll agree with that. Um, then there's the, another problem with the series is, you know, we have this 75 year journey for them to get back and we know they're going to make it back in seven years. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So they're always looking for 
some new shortcut that will get them closer to home, but not all the way home until the final episode. Right. Yes. So, you know, we're going to have these series of great leaps forwards because it, it would it would be boring to have seven years of plodding along and then one huge leap. So mm -hmm. they do what you would expect and have periodic great big leaps, but that don't get them home. And that becomes a recurring theme on the show. And it's baked into the structure of the show that we're going to get these. And how many times can you go to that? Well, exactly. right. Well, the other part of it is, is, is they have to make a decision early on. Are we just going straight home? Are we going to make one straight journey that, you know, with no side um, distractions? Well, that would be kind of boring after a while <laughs> uh, as, yeah. a, as a TV series. So, yeah. so distress they, signal. Don't care. Talk to the subspace hand. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we're not from here. You go talk to someone who, who who's from here. But you know, uh, they early on they make this. You know, we're a Starfleet crew and we're all about exploration. So we're you know, even though we're going to probably add years to our journey, uh, yeah. we're going to you know have these side distractions that take us all over the place. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, if if you played role playing games, it's like you know, am I going to do the main plot line, or are we going to do all the side quests as I'm playing the game? You know, <laughs> right. it's that kind of idea. Right, right. You're it's or a video game, like you're running. If you're going to do a straight run through, uh, or like if you're playing like uh, one of the uh, the uh, Mario Brothers, you're going to go down every uh, hole exactly to the, to the extra levels. Right, and when they when, <laughs> whenever the Voyager gets a choice, they go down the hole. You know, that's that's exactly. what they do. Um, so one of the other distinguishing features is. The first female starship captain uh, as a regular. I mean, we saw women. Yeah. And, and this is interesting. Um, it, the casting choice was crucial here because originally um, uh, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, uh, Villeneuve. Um, no, no, no. I know the, the French original actress? actress's name. No, no, no. Yeah. The, the one who got it. Oh, Kate Mulgrew. Kate Mulgrew. I was thinking yeah. Kate O'Mara and that's the wrong person. <laughs> yeah. Um, wrong show. Yeah. Um, so Kate Mulgrew was not originally cast as uh, Captain Janeway. Instead, it was a French Canadian actress named Genevieve Bujold. Oh, that's right. And they actually got a, like a day or so into taping with her for the pilot episode. And it was in, and that footage still exists and you can watch yes. it. It's on YouTube. You can see the comparison with Kate Mulgrew's performance and Kate Mulgrew like is Captain Janeway. She is the right person for this job. Yeah. I'm amazed they didn't give it to her initially because when you compare Kate Mulgrew's performance to Genevieve Bujold's, it's, yeah. it's night and day. Genevieve Bujold is like <laughs> spacey. She and not in a good way. She's, yeah, exactly. She's she's like zoned out and she's contemplative and quiet and not dynamic and assertive and right. decisive. And and of course, um, you know, the, this these first scenes that they're filming are the ones where the ship's at risk and you know there's high energy on the on the bridge and yeah, and the captain's just kind of like, oh, there's something happening. Yeah, it's like give that woman a cup of coffee or something. Um, and apparently, and it, and they they knew as soon as they started filming that they were in big trouble. And Genevieve Bujold knew it too. And she, um, it was a very different experience than what she had had in acting before. Uh, she was not used to doing television series. And mm -hmm. so she, she the the length of the workday and the prospect of doing this 
you know, 16 hour workday or more for six days a week for seven years sank in on her really fast. Also, she wasn't used to working with uh, directors in the way that the the series was going to involve because they have a new director for every episode. And right. she was used to working like on movies with one director for months. Right. And when she got introduced to the director for the pilot episode, she commented to one of the producers, how am I supposed to work with a director I don't know? <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and that was not a good sign. And to her credit, she asked within like the first day or so to be released from her contract. Uh, she just realized yeah. this was not going to work. The producers realized this was not going to work. And um, it's so good for the series that she backed out so quickly because mm -hmm. if they had gotten farther into production before it fell apart, it would have been much harder to undo. As it was, they had to call a hiatus for a few days. They cast Kate Mulgrew, who they'd already auditioned, but didn't get mm -hmm. it on the first round. And then Kate Mulgrew stepped into the part and did great with it. Yeah. You know, this, there's a, a lot. I mean, I'm looking at the list of other actors. They, they, they looked at a lot of different women for this role. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm looking at some of the other names some that I recognize, like... Um, the actress who played Leia Brahms was one of them. Right. Uh, Cl uh, Claudia Christian from uh, Babylon 5. Oh, she would have mm -hmm. been good. Yeah. <laughs> Very uh, different character, but she would have been little, good. A little young. She would have been good, but I like the maturity that Kate yeah. Mulgrew has yes. that Claudia Christian wouldn't have had. Uh, there's Patty Duke, who uh, had the a little more maturity uh, as well. Mm -hmm. uh, she would have been interesting. Um, Aaron Gray from Buck Rogers. Mm -hmm. uh, who uh, my my first TV crush? Shall we say? Oh yeah, yes, man. I I was uh, an impressionable age when Buck Rogers came out. Um, they even had uh, Linda Hamilton, wow. which was interesting. That would have been an interesting choice. Uh, they would have had the Terminator on one episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, so Catherine Janeway, Captain Janeway, as as the first female captain. I mean, the, the, she. She, especially the initial uh, seasons, she was a bit stiff, a little yeah. too. Uh, mm -hmm. um, th there was that weird moment early on where she had the, that confrontation with uh, Ensign Kim about um, "Don't call me ma'am, you call me sir." And it was no, this, it was the opposite. It was "Call me ma'am, don't call me sir." Was it okay? There was a. Yes. I remember a yeah. weird interaction about the whole "ma'am, sir" thing, or, she, well, or, they, or just "call they, me captain" instead. I think is what she ended up saying. Mm -hmm. They they previously established uh, that female officers on Star Trek were called sir. Uh, that's something that goes to the movies, right? And so right. forth, where they're calling Mister Mister Savick and so forth. And, and that, that's a very uh, naval tradition to this day. Yeah, but it would feel a little weird to the audience to have Ca Captain Janeway being called sir all the time. And so I actually didn't mind. I mean, it, it can be a little clunky on the dialogue level. But in terms of establishing, okay, on this show, she she can be ma'am. Yeah, that was fine with me. Yeah. Uh, so some of the so some of the other um, people that were you know the interesting uh, changes. Uh, all of the medical staff were killed in the initial mm -hmm. toss into mm -hmm. the Delta Quadrant. So we have the holographic doctor, which I loved Robert Picardo. I really yeah. I really yeah. enjoy him. Um, but what they sometimes did with the doctor's character really drove me nuts at times from a mostly from a technology point of view, but some of it mm -hmm. from a philosophical point of view. And again, we'll get into that as we 
go through the series. But like the the whole like that there's only one copy of the Doctor ever. And when they yeah. download him into something else, they they for some reason delete it from the ship's computer, sort of thing. It's the whole problem it's a with having plausible. Yeah, the whole problem with having a holographic character, a computer generated character, it, it becomes a problem. I mean, haven't the way, they they had learned of backups by then. I mean, we, we do exactly, backups yeah. now, and of course we don't do it. But right, right. By the way, one thing I'll give them credit for with the that. With the with the holographic doctor, who was one of the breakout characters for the show, oh, absolutely he was a great character. It was not yeah. expected to be him. They thought it was going to be Neelix, and it was not. It was the oh. doctor. They're he usually was, wrong um, about that. <laughs> yeah, um, but I, at some earlier this year, I was at a social event where a gentleman had a cardiac arrest, and all of us at the social event like sprang into action, and we saved the guy's life. Mm-hmm. Um, but my role in in it was I was the one who got on the phone to nine one one and arranged for the EMTs to come, right. and then other people who were there who were like um, uh, nurses and so forth began CPR while I was getting the EMTs. Right. And when in talking to nine one one, they were so much less efficient than the doctor. I was frustrated. <laughs> it's like they should be. Please state the nature of the medical emergency, and they weren't. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, it wasn't even. Please state the nature of your emergency, or what is your emergency? It wasn't yeah. anything that concise. Right. So I, I, I it, it, real life fared poorly in that instance compared to the to, to the doctor. You know, one thing I do like though. I, I I don't know if it was their original intention to make the doctor develop the way they did, or if he was always supposed to be kind of the 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 back behind the scenes character. Uh, but he, one thing I really did like is they 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 fleshed him out as a character. I mean, mm-hmm. he went from this very much please state the nature of the medical emergency, straightforward. I'm emergency medical hologram. That is all I do is don't forget to turn me off when I'm done type of thing right. to an actual living breathing character really i mean he was he really became as much a part of the crew as anybody else that 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 is the i mean they really developed the character they it's more so than almost any other character i feel like mm-hmm. on the show of the, he, of the original cast seven of nine competes with that though later yes. on yes right but for him i mean his interests like he is opera singing is uh uh, he he wants to have a family. He's hollow photography, and and I feel like that at one point, I mean, they they introduced the mobile emitter, this thirtieth century technology, because right. really, for this character to to really grow beyond what they'd done with him, they needed him to be able to get out of the the you know the the the, mm-hmm. the medical bay, the the, the right. sick bay, and get out there and be part you know be part of the crew and. I mean, it introduced some of the 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 issues I was talking about before, but at least you know it was, um, it, it, you know, it may allow the character to grow. And some of my favorite episodes are doctor centered episodes. Absolutely, mm-hmm. one character who did not grow and who was the biggest misfire of the original cast was Cass. Yeah, um, Cass is for those of you who may have forgotten who this person is. Um, <laughs> Cass was a young woman. She was uh, from a race called the Ocampans. Uh, she was played by Jennifer Leanne. And the deal is the Ocampans have a seven year lifespan. 
And so the natural thing to do with that character is show us all the phases of her life over the course of the seven year series. That's clearly, you know, what that character was set up for. And it would have been amazing. And uh, hypothetically, if they had written it well, it could have been amazing where you have Kess dying, getting her first glimpse of Earth, this place she's heard about her entire life. Um, And it would have been so bittersweet. And they completely ruined the character. They had no idea what to do with her. They started Mm -hmm. doing all this psychic power stuff to try to make her more interesting. And eventually, uh, halfway through the series, they got rid of her and replaced her with the far more interesting Seven of Nine. Right. um, Only to bring her back as some kind of angry storm god for an episode. (laughs) And that was – it totally did violence to the character of Cass. I mean, she was a nice – like, if there's one thing that defined Cass, she was – a nice she person. Was sweet. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And th- and then it just sort of did this awful thing to her in that in that episode where they brought her back. And you're like, why? Why? It was the anti Tasha Yar ending yeah. where they redeemed Tasha Yar by bringing her back, and they ruined Cass by bringing her back. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I wonder though if they, like you said, they really didn't know what to do with her. You know, she was you know one year old when she got on Voyager. Which I guess Pearl Compens is kind of like late teenager, early twenties for humans. Yeah, but they really didn't show her aging. They didn't show mm-hmm. you know. You would think that if they've got a seven year lifespan and she's already one year into it, that over the course of six years or the course of two years, you would see some signs of aging. Of course, they didn't do that. The um, the only thing I can remember them doing that did reflect her life cycle in a significant way was they they got to the point where she needed to become pregnant. Because if you got a seven-year lifespan, your biological clock ticks really fast. Yeah, right. And, um, and she could have apparently, through their magical gee whiz technology, had a baby with uh, Neelix, but didn't. Right. And that's what they should have done. They Mm -hmm. should have let us see, you know, uh, what it's like to have a baby and have this. And for once, there would be a plausible explanation for why a child grows so fast on in science fiction. (laughs) You mean like the the other little child that they that was born in the first season and was like suddenly seven years old, (laughs) was like 12 years old by the end of the uh, seven years. (laughs) Yeah. so they there was another missed opportunity. It's like, okay, I guess I'm not ever going to have children in my life. That's that eh, new episode, right. exactly. Well, and then um, so we get rid of Cass and we bring in another character we talked about, we mentioned before, Seven of Nine, uh, a a former Borg turned into amazingly beautiful woman <laughs> in a yeah, cat, in, in a cat, cat suit. suit. <laughs> So we Gee, know that what, wasn't a choice made to get people to watch the show or anything, no, was it? <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, that was a, a bid for ratings, if anything was. Uh, but she was, you know, uh, somewhat emotionless, uh, you know, so it was a bit of a cold fish, shall we say, um, mm-hmm. who eventually developed. She developed uh, attachments, relationships, became more of a of a. Of a, a more human, less Borg by the end of it. Right. Particularly, she was mentored by the captain and the doctor, the other two mm-hmm. kind of right. the breakout character and the main character. Yeah. Right. And and with the doctor was um, not uh, the doctor kept getting crushes on these uh, different female characters. First, it was Cass <laughs> and then it was uh, Seven. And and that was that uh, it was an interesting they, they made an interesting uh, part of the characters there where he. 
you know, his, he had quote unquote feelings as much as a mm-hmm. program has feelings for her. And they sort of developed, whereas the, the captain's uh, role was, she was very much a, a mother figure to her, yes. uh, which is it, very it, interesting. It's it, one thing that is kind of behind the scenes uh, with Seven of Nine is when they cast Jerry Ryan as Seven of Nine and brought her into the show, it was kind of like when they added Worf to Deep Space Nine. It was a big change in the show. And unlike Deep Space Nine, Paramount was interested in promoting um, Voyager because it was the flagship of their new network. And so they dumped tons of publicity on the Seven of Nine change. They made her a central feature of lots of stories. And it caused friction with the rest of the cast because suddenly it was the Seven of Nine show. And she was getting all this publicity and all these plots and everything was centered around her. And I know it caused friction, which I gather has been patched up, but it caused friction in particular with uh, Kate Mulgrew, who was the main character up to this mm-hmm. point. And suddenly the spotlight is on this other person. And also the rest of the cast who who had their parts correspondingly diminished to give time to Seven. Right. I mean, some of them uh, I was quite happy with having their time diminished, like uh, Harry Kim and others who could have been a good character, but they just kept miswriting harry kim you mean the perpetual ensign (laughs) right right what no seven years and she doesn't even give him a field commission to lieutenant i mean come on yeah there's there's not a lot of room for upward mobility on the ship except if some a superior dies well i mean apparently there are deaths on board i mean that we could lose people um we don't have a lot of time to kind of go through everyone i mean we kind of mentioned neelix on the side yeah, I, we've kind of talked about the characters. I wanted to talk for a moment, if we could, about the writing of the yeah. show. Yes. We talked about how there's kind of a lack of an overall arc to the series other than getting home. So it's not like where we have this complex war like in Deep Space Nine. They're trying to do um, they're trying to do next gen where we have a new planet or people every so often. Right. And it's not always very successful. Like there's this interminable period early on where they're going through Kazon space Ugh. and the Kazon are like, it's like a race with the perpetual bad hair day. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are they so angry? <laughs> yeah. They look like Kling. They, they're kind of like Klingons with really bad hair. Space pirates. And, yeah. Um, there's another, you know, we get these interactions with the Vidians. Vidians, Eventually the Hirogen. Yeah, eventually we get to the Borg, and that gets more successful. But then they defeat the Borg so many times, they defang the Borg. They become like the Daleks or the Cybermen or the Master. Um, What I find frustrating, though, is in individual episodes, uh, and uh, two things. And I actually want to do a rewatch of Voyager and keep a spreadsheet of two things. One is the nature of the climax in each episode because Mm -hmm. watching the series initially i noticed so many episodes involve character the climax is the characters are standing in front of consoles talking dramatically yeah and that's how they resolve the plot they stand in front of consoles punch buttons and talk dramatically i was hoping you were going to use that line (laughs) yeah Yeah. and in particular i noticed in the first season there are a bunch of episodes where the climax involves the voyager or one of its shuttlecraft breaking through a barrier of some kind and that's the resolution (laughs) um the other thing i want to keep track of is the number of upgrades 
that the Voyager gets over the seven years to deal with various problems because they like increase in one episode, they'll increase shield efficiency by 50%. And in another, they'll increase it by 75%. And I want to keep this. It turns out like once the Voyager gets back, it is so tricked out. It is this mega powerful death ship that has capabilities. (laughs) No other Star Trek vessel has. (laughs) Well, two other things to keep track of. How many torpedoes they fire, which actually someone has done a uh, supercut on yeah. uh, on YouTube of every and torpedo. Sh- and how many shuttlecraft <laughs> shuttle they, they lost. Yeah. They had to build a whole new shuttlecraft, the Delta Flyer, just because they kept <laughs> losing well, they, them. They apparently had like 70 uh, shuttlecrafts already <laughs> on board they, <laughs> because they would just blow up a shuttlecraft at the drop of a hat. And then, you know, we're supposed to believe that they're building them in the... Uh, you know, in the shuttle bay, but the the torpedoes oh. is even worse because they say right in the beginning well, that we have a limited supply that we cannot replenish, right. and then it turns out they had three hundred well, some then, torpedoes. I mean, if you want to kind of go off that, you know, how many episodes does a ship get beat to heck? In the next episode, it looks like it's right out of space dock. Right. Mm-hmm. Apart from the 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 year season hell, cliffhanger, the year of hell, which that uh, that was the one caveat to that, and I was kind of I was very disappointed at the end of ending of that because the ship does get beat up. I mean, they go to warp and pieces of the hull are flaking off of it. Right. It's that beat up. Yeah, and then they do a wibbly wobbly timey wimey thing where all of a sudden it's back to the beginning of the year and the ship is pristine again. But then they mm-hmm. have don't they have like another sort of mini year of hell, like sort of like the spring break of hell. Where they where they, <laughs> they kind of go through a smaller version of it. I thought I thought that something happened. There was one episode where the, there was uh, Kess was time jumping. Okay, and they, okay. They flash into that year of hell, which of okay. course then suddenly went from Kess being in the year of hell to Seven of Nine being in year of hell. Right, 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 right. Okay. So um, one of the things, just uh, I mean, there's a lot we could talk about, but we you know we we really need to wrap it up. But uh, uh, there is the the the. I think the biggest cameo in the whole seven seasons was, of course, The Rock uh, playing the Pandari <laughs> champion in the uh, Sudkatse arena. Uh, I mean, this is this is when he was still primarily a yeah, it was uh, about the time of like yeah. the mummy and things like that. Well, he, this was he's still a professional wrestler. I think he yeah, yeah predates the mummy oh, and okay. uh, the other things that he did. Yeah, this kind of my understanding is this kind of launched his career as an actor. Yes, which, That's funny. <laughs> well, let's just say professional wrestling launched his career as an actor, but uh, we could <laughs> we could quibble about professional wrestling. You know, uh, but if you want to talk about cameos, though, Barkley. Bar- yeah, awesome. Reg Barkley. Barkley and Deanna Troy are great cameos in this. That is um, true. Also, something, uh, we should probably put this in the show notes, but there's a great supercut um, of all the some kinds of Oh yeah. On, on I recently Facebooked this where there there's this writing tick where instead of saying it's a deflector shield captain, they have the writers have the characters say it's some kind of deflector shield. And and if you go through every episode of Voyager, there's only like seven of them where they don't use the some kind of phrase. <laughs> and so you've got these hundreds of or over a hundred uses of this phrase and uh, someone did a supercut of it and it's variants and it's hilarious to watch. It's some kind of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. <clears throat> so that, uh, I mean, in a nutshell, that's, that's, that's our, that's our overview of Voyager. Uh, so, you know, you'll get to hear a lot more of that as we go through the individual episodes uh, in the, uh, in the course of the future here. Um, 
anything else you want to add to it? Anything we we uh, we need to make sure we include in this, uh, Father Corey? Nope, nope. How about you, Jimmy? I'm good. All right, so uh, I'll put I'll try to find the links to those videos and put them in the show notes so that uh, we can we can uh, all enjoy them. Uh, but uh, that's it from us. So, what did you think of? of star trek voyager what'd you think of our opinions on it uh are we all you know uh, are we, are we uh, wrong was this your favorite i'm sure this is somebody's favorite and we would love oh, to hear yeah. from you why it's your favorite um uh you know give give a good defense um it's fine we can all have different opinions so uh but let us know go to sqpn.com slash star sorry go to sqpn.com slash trek uh we're trying to avoid uh you know, stepping on other people's copyright toes, yeah. sqpn.com slash Trek, or go to the SQPN Facebook page, find the, uh, the link to this show and then leave a comment there, you know, or, or you can leave us some feedback by uh, sending us an email to Trek at sqpn.com. Uh, you can send us a written email. You can send us a voice recording uh, of, uh, you know, so you could record it, say on your phone in the, voice memo function and email that to us um if you could we would greatly appreciate if you would go to itunes leave us a a five-star review to help us stand out from all the other star trek podcasts that are out there and to grow the audience and uh to like share retweets uh the the podcast to other star trek fans so that they can uh, hear about it your we only grow because you help us grow uh we we can't do it organically in the sense of we if we post just post on Facebook or on Twitter, that doesn't get to a new audience unless our you know those who are, of you who listen to us share it further on. So we really appreciate when you do that for us. Um, it's we greatly appreciate it. So uh, we'll be back next time. We'll we'll be discussing an overview of uh, it's our last overview episode. We'll be discussing an overview of Enterprise. Um, and I say it's our last overview because we've already done um, Secrets of, the other uh, of Discovery. Yeah, We've done the other series. We've also already done uh, two episodes of um, the first season of Star, Star Trek Discovery. So that's <laughs> sort of an overview already. Um, so Enterprise will be our last overview and they'll be getting into regular episodes after that. So uh, until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Live long and prosper. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. Once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, listen carefully because I'm only going to say this once. Coffee, black. <laughs> <laughs>